0: All right, all right, hello, hello, hello. Here we go with another episode of the Let's Go Eat Show. I'm Bill Allred, and I'm very, very happy to be able to talk to John Saltus, the publisher of City Weekly. I've been wanting to sit down with John for a long time. We sat down over a couple of big plates of meat, meat, and we talked like men over plates of meat at R&R Barbecue. A delicious barbecue place here in Salt Lake City. Uh, We talked about the history of uh, City Weekly and how John got into the uh, newspaper business and and where it's going today and new things that City Weekly is doing. Uh, So here we go. Delicious barbecue and John Saltus and uh, plates of meat. That's it. I don't know exact the exact dress, address here, but it's you know it's right when you get off the freeway here six, six uh, Third south, west third west six, six south eight, yeah yep. John Soltis, Um the what are you are now you're the are you considered the publisher now of City Weekly?
1: Yeah, I am. And,
0: I, and you've been the I mean you're the owner. You've been are you, you you've been the publisher. You weren't the publisher for a while, right? Uh,
1: I, I founded the paper. 1984, as the private eye. Private eye. It was a newsletter. Mm -hmm. Grew into a biweekly newspaper in the late 90s. We changed our name in like 1997. We became weekly, Mm -hmm. and then we changed our name. Did you? I mean, it was a it was a good idea to change your name. Yeah.
0: Did you have to change it?
1: No, but you know, after a while, you get these phone calls of. Like housewives or husbands saying, "Hey, my spouse is cheating on me. I need a private eye." Uh-huh. <laughs> so we we cut off the private eye
0: because there was, there was some. There's a British tabloid many years ago, or it's it's a good name. It's a good name yeah.
1: for a investigative newspaper. Yeah. But that isn't how it began. It was we were we got the name Private Eye because it was in private clubs. But then the other part of it is is that we would our editors would call people, our writers, and say, "I'm with Private Eye." And somebody would be afraid to talk, thinking we're only going to do some kind of dirt story. Yeah. When really, we just wanted to know where the band was playing, you know, that night.
0: So you were just intended to be a, a kind of a newsletter for private clubs. Right. You right. need to get another fork. Well, it's, the
1: K-Man diet. it's the caveman diet here, but I'm not going to eat like one. So, yeah, I need another fork.
0: Uh, Dylan will get you another fork. John, John's throwing his food on the floor here at R&R Barbecue. <laughs> uh, so it was just intended to be kind of a newsletter... For the private clubs or uh, talking about what was going on with private clubs for the for the customers?
1: Well, back then, a, a private club, as we used to know them, couldn't advertise at all. all right. They could only send information direct mailed to their members who, were, who had joined their club. That's right. Or you had to have a placard on the table or a sign on the wall that said, here's our band schedule, here's our dinner schedule. So, you'd, you'd get a, a newsletter in the mail from them. Mm-hmm. And it would have, be like a calendar form. Mm-hmm. Monday is uh, football night. Tuesday's fashion show. Wednesday is whatever yeah. with their bands and specials. And they were lame. <laughs> they were pretty they lame. They were. And, um, I was know, living uh, in Ogden, and they were particularly lame. <laughs> yeah, so we decided on an idea that actually wasn't all that original, but we were able to used the mailing list for a number of private clubs, five originally, which gave us a circulation of about 20,000, say, Mm -hmm. um, in a month. Mm -hmm. And we'd we'd put in a newspaper form, not an individual and half by 11. We would change the front cover of that newspaper per club and and part of the inside of it. Mm -hmm. So if there were 20 pages, 17 would be the... The same for all of them, and three pages would change per club. Yeah. So that became their newsletter.
0: So what? We're, and you were making money. The clubs were paying you to do it.
1: The clubs only had to pay us for mailing, so they would pay for postage, and then we bore the rest of the cost. So we learned right away about um, you know, the true nature of the business is selling advertising. But once we had a circulation of twenty thousand, we could sell. That's a decent enough number to start selling ads against.
0: And so you could sell advertising
1: even though the clubs couldn't. I think that's kind of. Well, they could sell it. They helped to sell advertising, some of them. What they couldn't do was advertise themselves like in the Tribune. I
0: got you. So they...
1: what they would do, this was funny. I mean, some places did. They would um, run a perennial, like every day, help wanted ad in the Tribune saying, looking for bartenders, now hiring waitresses or something, which, of course, they weren't. But that was the only way they could get their name in the print. So it would say, you know, now hiring, call Bill Allred at Allred's yeah. Bar. Yeah. And then they would say, oh, wow, there's a place called Allred's Bar, and here's a phone number. I think I'll go try it out. Hmm.
0: <laughs> what? Uh, so, John, what were you uh, what were you doing before you did did that? What were you doing? Uh, you have a background in journalism, right? Don't right. You, you went to the University of Utah? I did. In journalism? Yeah.
1: Crunch, crunch on, on this coleslaw. But, yeah. Um, I, I graduated with a degree in journalism and mass communication. They called it JMC. Um, and, of course, found out right away there were no jobs here. There were the two dailies and Utah Holiday Magazine, and that was really it. So what year did you graduate? 79. And uh, so floundered. Um, didn't have a job. The, the most I'd ever published ever— uh, up until I started this, well, actually, before I moved to Chicago, which I'm, I'm far ahead on this story. Back it up. Yeah. I graduated in journalism, no jobs here. I moved to Chicago. Okay. When I got to Chicago, I got my first writing job. Prior to that, the most I'd ever had published was a letter to the editor in the Tribune. So I got a job in Chicago, which there were jobs for writers everywhere. And um, I, I was lucky, got a job. I saw a paper called Chicago Reader while there and fell in love with the format. And when I moved back here, I copied that into what became Private Eye.
0: Was that um, uh, an alternative yeah. newspaper? Yeah.
1: yeah. I, I had every opportunity to meet those guys back then, and I didn't. And uh, the photographer I was working with was working for that publication. I was doing something else on the side and uh, never met them. But years later, we did meet. When our paper was admitted into the Association of Alternative Newsweeklies, and those Chicago guys all became my friends many years later, it was funny, but they're good guys. Where'd you? Um, um, I'm gonna. I'll
0: ask my question really slowly so you can take a bite of food. Where did you? Uh, Where did you grow up? In Utah. In Salt well, Lake, actually, or?
1: no. I grew up in Bingham Canyon, which is to say that I didn't grow up in Utah. Yeah. I grew up in a blue-collar, mm-hmm. ethnic. You know, everybody, nobody was really dirt poor, if you want to call it that. Everybody was really proud of their heritage and rich in other ways. But mm-hmm. it was a community that was unlike the rest of Utah. Um, people would ask me to this day, are, you know, are you from Cleveland? Are you from Chicago? I am mean, no, but I grew up around Greeks and Italians and Slavs and so you're, Japanese. You're, and, you're Greek, right? Yeah. Soltis is yeah. Greek, Yeah, yeah. And, you know, in the morning, when I was a kid, up to like six or seven years old, any morning I would hear, like, good morning spoken in five or six languages. Were these
0: all folks that were out there working in the copper mine?
1: Yeah. My family on both sides from Greece were immigrants. Uh, Came here in 1906 to be exploited.
0: (laughs) And and, uh, so why, how is it that a, a, a Greek kid in Bingham Canyon... Wants to, how did? What gave you the idea that you wanted to be a journalist?
1: Well, I didn't know it then. I had I'd taken, I shouldn't say taken. I was given a couple assignments along the way in English courses to write an essay or something. Mm-hmm. I kind of liked it. But that isn't what did it. I mean, what did it was ultimately looking around at the age of 23 or 24, not graduating from school yet, he saying, "Shit! How do I get out of the University of Utah, man?" And I just looked at my transcripts, and the fastest course for me was journalism. <laughs> that's what happened.
0: So you were just kind of going to college, not really knowing. Uh,
1: yeah, I, I mean, that's—I was lost. I was a very, very poor college student for a few years. I mean, and when in high school the bell rings and you go to class, and at the university they don't ring. No. If you, went to, if you grew up in Bingham or, or kids that grew up on the farms that went to Bingham, the fast track for you after high school was to become a farmer or a miner.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So we weren't um, mentored to become students after high school. We were mentored to follow in our father's footsteps and be miners. And you didn't want to do that. I didn't want to do that, but I didn't know how to go to school either. And I didn't have any decent counseling at the – I mean, didn't. I just didn't know what to do. I was lost. How would you do in high school? I was a good student up to my senior year. Did you play, you're play. you a pretty big guy. Did you play football? Were you big yeah, I, a uh, Bingham
0: minor? Was that what you were? Yeah,
1: I ripped up my shoulder in my junior season and uh, never played. I did play after that, but couldn't play the same. I mean, I, I dislocated my shoulder pretty severely. It had to operate it on. And that was a, as a junior. Then a senior year went and tried to play with a chain around my arm. And it was pretty ridiculous, but I did. And um, all I did was hurt it worse. Uh, Somebody's he, advice, put a chain around your arm? That was my own doing. I I, I was so enamored of my, you know, wanting... The, we were Bingham was it was very much a Friday Night Lights town. I yeah. mean, when the when the, gym lights would go on, everybody showed up. When the stadium lights, you could see them across the valley up in the canyon, our, our football field. We, we'd be down in the valley, and the lights would go on at Bingham High School, and you'd say, Daddy, go, get home, get home, there's a game, you know? Mm-hmm. So... We, we all aspire to that in some there, level
0: there's still a Bingham's still a, a football power but that's that's right? new
1: because that's the new high school it's not new now, but it was was it's new relatively to us from Bingham. It's in South Jordan it's know yeah. I, I don't hear the same names. I mean I look down the roster and the names that I grew up with where they're farmer kids or Bingham kids I don't see the same names mm-hmm. you know and those it's an entirely different community in South Jordan. Uh, than when I grew up. Where I grew up, we had... Bingham High School was in the canyon, and we had... The canyon The canyon isn't there anymore. It's buried, you know. or air, so it's very disconcerting to go home because you can't see where you grew up. It's full of stuff from the
0: copper mine that... Yeah, they just, overburdened and yeah, holes. they just and filled
1: it up. There were once 15,000 people up there in, in Bingham Canyon. There's nothing. So our geography that drew to Bingham High School and we only had a little over 800 to maybe 900 students in the entire school, now has Bingham High School, Riverton High School, Harriman High School, Copper Hills, West Jordan. These are all 5A schools pretty much. They're huge. And they're all a couple thousand students each. And we only had 900 in that same geography. And there's more to come. So uh, it's just crazy how much has exploded out there. It's not the same.
0: So so you, so you get out of high school and you, you know you don't want to be a minor, so you go to the University of Utah and just kind of dick around.
1: Not really... Yeah, I, I think that's fair.
0: Took classes, but...
1: Not... I mean, the first, the first part of my college career was serious. Um, you know, I, I took a test and I started... They, they passed me through the whole freshman year and half of my sophomore year. So technically, I only have two and a half years to go. It took me seven. The first year I was up there, I was in the business school and kind of lost. I didn't know shit about business. Um, I, I tried different courses and just, just wandered around. I had decent grades. And then uh, just changed. I you know, didn't know what I wanted to do or be. Um, you know, you, you lose track of your good friends and you're making new friends, and you get lost in that kind of like... Where am I? Mm -hmm. Uh, Relationships of all kinds were all over the place, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I was lost athletic. That was part of it. I mean, I I, I lost that identity. And then I didn't have the, like I said, the mentoring to figure out how to go to school. So I I took classes in every department, you know. (laughs) And
0: so you see the journalism, and that's a, a way to graduate quick? And then, yeah. you, And then you find out that you that you like it. Yeah,
1: I mean, the route to journalism actually came through the English department, and I, between reading like Shakespeare and different classes and courses, taking some creative writing classes, particularly from uh, some people know the name David Cranes. He writes a lot of plays and sure. stuff. I had a class from him. Yeah. He's a, Playwright and yeah. poet and. I mean, it was, that's that's when the light went off that I could actually write without being self-conscious about it. Because a lot of people do write or try to, but as soon as you get criticized, you kind of give it up. Mm-hmm. Nobody likes criticism. Yeah. Well, in that class, everyone was a critic. Yeah. And, um, and I wrote some pretty decent little pieces and took other writing classes. And then suddenly it's like, well, you can't write fiction and <laughs> get paid very well. So it kind of drifted eventually into, well, let me try a reporting class or journalism classes and so on. And that's how it went into journalism.
0: And um, and then you you, uh, you graduate and you can't. No work. Uh, no, well, you have, so you had Salt Lake Tribune, Deseret News, um, Utah Holiday Magazine. Right. Um, I guess that really is about it. You, yeah. Well, you could have written for the Improvement Era.
1: or you know yeah yeah plumber's journal whatever Um, there weren't any those that was it and so one thing i learned in journalism school uh, to this day i'm a terrible reporter I, i could never be a reporter um and i didn't move that direction i moved more of the like opinion kind of writing um because reporting is it, it's at one, on one side, it's really, really important to do it right. And on the other side where you begin, it's like really, really boring. You know, and anybody could do it. At the corner of 3rd South and 6th West, a red car hit a blue car. Mm-hmm. The blue car seems to be in the wrong. And it, it occurred at whatever time of day, you'd just write like that. And I thought, no, nah, anybody could do that. I, I don't like that.
0: Do, don't you kinda have to, uh, kind of have to kind of cut your chops doing that before they'll let you be an
1: opinion writer? A lot of times, no, no. I mean, the the thing about writing, and and in our case particularly storytelling, is either you can or you can't. It's either it's more style as opposed to craft. Mm. So if you have a good style, and you can you can build around your style, you don't necessarily have to have been a reporter. You don't have to have. A college degree necessarily. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, we've got people on staff that graduated from, you know, some of the top schools in the country. You know, Stanford for one. Uh, Bill uh, S- uh, Scott Renshaw, Stanford graduate. I'm not certain, and I'm not going to say this in a, in a mean way. He shares an office next to me, and that's Bill Frost. I'm not sure he went to college. Yeah, I don't know. But uh, you know, you, I mean, you yeah. know, Bill. Yeah, sure. And so. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but Bill certainly got a style, doesn't he? And yeah, Bill's he's a very, very good writer. He's incredibly clever.
0: Very clever writer.
1: Yeah. So, if
2: we had him on the podcast. We probably should have paid attention and remembered what he said. Yeah, <laughs> I don't.
1: I don't know. I mean, he, he might have. Um, he's very bright. Uh, you, you know, it's that, that, not required that you yeah. can't teach snarkiness. Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> yeah. And he's got it, he's got it in spades. Mm-hmm. Um, others have gotten different levels of education in in our. The writing department but I never asked that question it, other than the context of knowing where somebody's from geographically yeah. I don't care if they have a degree in English or, or not so when you
0: uh, couldn't get a job here and you went to Chicago wh- who did you uh, who did you end up working for in Chicago
2: well first I, my, off why yeah. did you choose I mean why Chicago
1: my brother lived there oh. and, and it was the year of the great uh, great inversion if you, in 1980 or 81 it was thicker than it's ever been and mm-hmm. I was living for a short period of time back up in Bingham Canyon with my mm-hmm. folks and it was more or less my swan song because I moved out early and I was out of school and I hadn't been up the canyon for a while He I said I'm going to try this and it wasn't for very long but I drive into the valley from crystal clear air and, and into this mud and it was depressing so uh, one day I just said I'm going to go visit my brother and I my, myself and my dad. I'm glad I did it. We took a road trip. Moved, went to Chicago. So intended to stay two weeks. After the end of a week and a half, I, I just kind of stayed. My dad flew home. Um, I uh, I just started looking around. I found a job on this little rinky-dink publication I saw, like, in a 7-Eleven. It was called Illinois Cowboy Magazine. And... Uh, the guy figures, I'm from Utah, and I must know about cowboys and cowboy music. <laughs> really, that was it. You're hired. And it was his second issue that I went to work on. And um, he, I, I wrote most of it. And I'd never really written much of anything before. A letter to the editor, right? So all of a sudden, I'm writing about you know, the, the performers of that era. And I did it under like seven different bylines. I used my name and then cool. a whole bunch of fake names.
0: Did you try to alter your style a little bit for each byline? Well, not really. Just, just no, change just the
1: name. I didn't know what I was doing. I was This guy was paying me. Mm-hmm. So um, that issue came out, hit the shelves. Actually, it didn't hit the shelves. It came out and stayed in boxes. And he gave me a few copies. He said, settle up. And I said, okay. And we went to McDonald's, and he gave me a hamburger and fries and a Coke, and that was my pay. Mm-hmm. He folded the magazine after one issue. Mm-hmm. After the second issue. But on that second issue... I suddenly had something in my hand I didn't have before, which was a portfolio. While the time this is taking place, there was Chicago Tribune used to have columns and columns of ads for editors and writers, and I'd check them out. And I saw that this other publication that actually I'd known from Utah, it was called uh, Country Style Magazine, was hiring. But I didn't apply because I had this great job at this other magazine, yeah. so I didn't apply. And then the ad ran again the third, second week and i didn't apply and in between there the guy canned a magazine and i go uh oh but the ad ran the third time for um country style and i got in at the very end of their interview process and there were like 300 and something applicants and a little bit of the same thing happened oh you're from utah you know what do you think of kenny rogers and i go not much (laughs) which is a true you know i didn't and um I did the interview, and then he had me, and I gave him my portfolio, yeah. which was the other magazine. And he said, oh, okay. And then he narrowed it down to three people. And I had to write a record review. And uh, he gives me an album, and he says, uh, here you go. You ever heard of Billy Joe Shaver? And I go, you bet I have. Yeah. Yeah. So I took that album, had a song on it called uh, Old Chunk of Coal. It's a beautiful, and John Anderson made a hit out of it a few years later. And it's was a great album, and I went to the library, looked up his name, the old way, with cards and, you know, indexes mm-hmm, yeah. and everything. Went to record stores and asked everybody I could about Billy Joe Shaver. Wrote was this the,
0: before or after he'd shot a
1: guy in the face? It was after. Yeah. Yeah. It was after he lost his fingers, too. Yeah. So, um, anyway, I turned that in and I got the job. And uh, I got to meet a lot of people. I mean... Uh, I went from heady, like didn't know anybody, and kind of shy and stuff back here. And you know, Jerry, me and Jerry Jeff Walker in the pitcher, a couple, you know, no time, and Roseanne Cash and Hank Williams Jr. used to, you know, hey, there's Utah, and we'd go on his bus and drink, and, drink a drink of whiskey, and mm-hmm. you know, um, that kind of stuff. It was kind of fun. And then it folded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was a curse well, wherever that. I've worked. so I'd...
0: They just they just seem they to are. do it, don't they? Yeah.
1: Actually, when I came back home with a dog-eared copy of the Chicago Reader, and a year or two later, I started what became the Private Eye, and then evolved into what we're doing now.
0: Um, and it's been, so. It's how many years Private Eye into City Weekly? How many years now?
1: Private Eye began in '84 as a newsletter and stayed that way until about '89, when the Zephyr became pretty popular it was pretty clear that they couldn't bring B.B. King into town and only talk to their own members. You had to be able... They couldn't put on the marquee at that time because that's advertising to people going down the street. Yeah. So they began to, you know, to change... Aggressively change the rules a little bit. And um, clubs could advertise. And then we became a street edition. I knew most every club owner in town by then because of the nature of what I was doing. So I had... You know, by virtue of luck, I had an in with selling ads and distribution. So I was able to get clubs to advertise, and I could put the paper in clubs. And that's when it became not a newsletter, but a newspaper every two weeks. It was ten years after that. Eight years after that, we changed it to City Weekly.
0: What, how, how did it become um, more than just a newsletter um, and start becoming really an investigative uh, publication something that actually broke news stories and did investigative uh, pieces on uh, the Olympic bribery scandal did investigative pieces on D.D. Cordini's relationship with uh, what was it Bonneville Pacific and you know did uh, how did that how did that all start coming yeah.
1: about our very first like covers of the original private after it became a newsletter it was a street edition where like Kermit the Frog was on the cover, Hulk Hogan, you know it was just mm. pop culture kind of weird yeah. so it wasn't investigative news at all and but inside there was myself, Ron Yangich, um several people from The Tribune actually that were writing food columns or columns opinion columns under fake names. so we had a personality. We just weren't doing news yet. And then we hired um, a guy named Tom Walsh, who was with KSL. That's an investigative journalist on KSL broadcast, but had a little bit of a print background. He wanted to go back into print. He just started over with us. And uh, he went from a really good job to really almost no pay whatsoever to learn the print business. And he brought in his catalog, his Rolodex of... Uh, Contacts, And among them was a guy named Lynn Packer. Hmm. So not very long. It was 1991, I'm sure, that was the year when we did our first Bonneville story.
0: It hasn't seem that long ago, but it, that was a long time ago, wasn't it was
1: it? It and, was. Yeah. And, and what happened was, I remember that year, we were coming out every two weeks, and we had our Christmas party, and, and it said we didn't have enough room to print everything Lynn gave us in one issue. And Lynn's an incredibly talented guy I have more respect for Lynn as a journalist than anybody in this town uh, he just he'll go after anybody and, and I don't mean he should go after anybody he, he, but he's fearless he's just good he's smart and he's good but um, we did the first part of the Cordini story and it was at a Christmas party I held up the paper and I said hey everybody we this is really cool we've done a couple news stories. But nothing like this. This is where we broke a story. Little papers don't break stories usually. So, you know, the mayor's involved maybe in this scandal, and we got the story, and it'll be on the news tonight. We're sure of it. And that was it. We'll print part two in two weeks, then we'll go back to Kermit the Frog, whatever. Well, in the next two weeks, I'm sorry, yeah, when we print the next one, nobody had done the story other than us. It just sat there. So we print part two, and now... Nobody does anything. I'm talking about the dailies. Yeah, They didn't pick up on it. The TV stations didn't pick up on it. Nobody. So then Lynn you know, writes another one about some other angle of it. And we had green fields in front of us for seven or eight years. I mean, the entire Bonneville stuff, Lynn was reporting and other reporters were coming to our office to pick up the paper eventually to tell their people what Lynn had learned. They were re-reporting us, yeah, and so our name just really took off with with Lynn and Didi Cordini.
2: Um, what are the just the ba- yeah? Can, I don't mean, you know for what that people story may is. not remember the Sorry. the yeah.
1: uh,
0: uh, Didi Cordini,
1: the mayor of Salt Lake,
0: Bonneville Pacific. Just the just the bare bones of what that story was.
1: Yeah, well, Bonneville Pacific was an energy corp, and um, it had a board of directors that was basically a who's who of everybody that was in the investment or money community in Salt Lake City or, or of high stature mm-hmm. and eventually uh, was embroiled in all kinds of financial controversies uh, money gone missing <laughs> all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and, and, and and Dede was about the only principal that didn't go to jail yeah well um, i divide you know the presidents all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. many of them did. One of the stories that Lynn did along the way it was, like, how to pull off the perfect scam. And um, it was told by a BYU professor had, had kind of taught a course in that or something. And if you read what that story was and how how the story itself came to be, it was the perfect scam. You get all of the these high-profile people on your board who can't afford the bad publicity. And you get enough of them that are willing to give you money because they want to... You know, get enrich themselves, and they want to do it before everybody else gets rich, etc. And you, you pretty soon have a way of like, you've committed a crime that nobody will report on because you don't want your name in the paper. Yeah. So you disassociate, and as you peel away, somebody's going to be left holding the bag. But it's not the guys that were kind of in on day one. So yeah. it, it 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 elongated the the course of a run of that particular scam. Mm.
2: So you almost need a paper like City Weekly, a small, I mean, somebody who doesn't have anything to lose at that point to report on something like that. Yeah,
1: we had nothing to lose. You know, I mean,
2: the Tribune, they hang out, I mean, you know, the editors of the Tribune hang out with all those people, and, but you need, I mean, that's why it's important, I guess, to have a paper like that.
1: Yeah, and, and also, more so back then than maybe now, there's a few guys that are actually doing investigative stuff for both papers. More the Tribune now, but Lee Davidson used mm-hmm. to be with the Desert News. Is now at the Tribune? That's um, not what they did. They waited for the story to happen, then they reported on it. Yeah. So, like where Lynn was talking to people behind the scenes and being very careful not to divulge their names and their sources and all that kind of stuff. The dailies were waiting for the court. They report from the courthouse, mm-hmm. and Lynn was doing it from. Interior. They're working. There were people more so with the next scandal, which became, you know, Giftgate. That was Didi Cordini again. Yeah. And then, the, and then the Olympic scandal. Yeah. Lynn was talking to people behind the scenes and, you know, like, okay, I'll tell you this, but keep my name out. And he was very good at that.
0: Well, it, but it, but even today, I mean, it's still City Weekly is, is the paper that really started talking about uh, John Swallow and Mark Shirtliff, and and saying, "Wait a minute, yeah, something is not right here." And uh, uh, forgive me, he's been on our show too. The name of the reporter who did it's all Eric Peterson, Eric Peterson, for for you guys who did really the deep work on that story to begin with, mm-hmm. and then and then the and then the uh, Tribune in particular. Uh, did pick up and and do a lot of extra and started doing a lot of work on it, but but still, City Weekly kind of started that story.
1: Yeah. Now that's just a difference in time frame because the difference between Eric doing it today and Lynn Packard doing it twenty years ago plus is simply a matter of like one one guy, and that's Robert Gurki. Yeah. Robert Gurki did a heck of a job at the Tribune. Um, You know, not only I won't say he, you know, taking the lead and, and and really running with the story. We don't do that. I mean, we're not. It's not easy for us to be a paper of record. Yeah, we can tell the story, break the story, tell it in a good way, and then hopefully move to the next one. gurkey did what he was supposed to do. He kept on dogging it, yeah. and um, I, I commend him. By the way, you know, during this period, everybody would say "Hooray, Tribune! Hooray, Tribune!" except for Robert gurkey Robert Gerke said, thank you. We did do a good job. But he was always the guy that pointed to Eric and said, and by the way, Eric deserves some credit. He was very, very fair about that. And City, City
0: Weekly did the did the deep work uh, on it. Yeah, and, then, you, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and And I guess what you're saying about let's go back to D.D. Cordini and Bonneville Pacific, that's what you kept waiting for, somebody like you back well, yeah, then. Yeah,
1: I mean, and then after a while it became a joke. I mean, yeah. we had D.D. Cordini on the cover, I think, I think it was 16 times. Uh, in a eighteen to two year, eighteen month to two year period, and that doesn't count the stories that were inside. That's cover stories, yeah. and nobody else was doing it. You know, uh, I don't. Part of it was that how to pull off a scandal. And you said it a little while ago. I mean, there was some connections there that people didn't want to reveal too much about it in high places. Yeah. It just. They didn't want the covers pulled back.
0: It's, uh, what, what's the story that uh, I can't remember why it happened, but uh, it's a great story. Uh, talking about City Weekly getting under people's skin. Who was it that that stole all the copies of the City Weekly because they were uh, unfavorable to them? And what was it? What, what's that story? That yeah, that's awesome.
1: Well, <laughs> what happened? There's a lot of. Crazy things in this one. It, it was. Uh, think, let me tell the background of a little bit of a story. There was a. We'd done a story a few months prior to this. It was called like the Gallo Gang or something. There was this, they were the Preppy Bandits or something.
0: Oh, the Green Parrot Kids. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so
1: these kids were being like they have no reason to steal or commit crimes or whatever and they were the preppy bandits and they were doing you know like the sticky bandits in home alone Uh, their shtick was whatever you know uh, a preppy look and long coats and coats we do this story the kids are convicted or one of them goes to jail okay so there's that's the way background gift gate is going on now and um We're covering Giftgate. That's Didi involved in another scandal. When she got $200,000 of cash, cash given to her while she was mayor. That's right. And, and, uh, and charged with nothing. I mean, there was an ethical investigation. A guy came from the back east and, and all this kind of stuff and never charged. And and a guy named Neil Gunnarsson, who was a county uh, uh, DA, <clears throat> decided not to prosecute Didi Dee Dee Cordini. So John Harrington wrote a story about... Um, how Neil Gunnerson kind of saved the day and came in and rescued Deedee. The artwork on the cover showed Neil Gunnerson in a fire hat carrying Deedee from a burning city hall, and that was the cover. We don't think anything of it till the next day. I get a phone call, and it was from somebody who said, um, Hey, I was at uh, you know, Boston Market last night, and I saw this guy throwing your papers in the dumpster. And I go, well, okay, but we can't do much about it because we don't know who that guy is. She goes, no, I know who it is because it's the guy that's on your cover. Even though it was a caricature, she remembered, the, she recognized the face and the guy. I said, well, Neil Gunnerson? Are you saying Neil Gunnarsson's throwing our paper away? <laughs> yeah. No, that's great. Well, the funny part there is that she might have had a bone, who knows, mm-hmm. but the, the person who called me had an affiliation with the Gallows. And so, who knows if it was like, "Hey, I'm gonna." Yeah. I don't know, but that that person knew the, some of the gallows, mm-hmm. and you know, and, and, and was clear upfront about it. Uh, but she she liked the paper, even though we'd done the story that mm-hmm. uh, on on the kids earlier, whatever. I, I don't remember the relationship exactly, but it had something to do with that. And so, um, I said, "Well, what would you see?" And she told me, and I, and and I called uh, our editor in. It was Chris Smart at the time, and. Uh, he says, what do you want to do about it? I said, call the cops. He goes, what? <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> What? <laughs> I said, call the cops. Let's do it. And uh, eh, let it go away. I said, no, no. Let's see what happens. So the cops come down, and they said, you know, like, um, this person can positively identify Mr. Gun." I said, yeah, go ask him. You know, they said, for sure. By the way, at that same time, we had other reports of people, like, missing papers and mm. This kind of stuff. So uh, they go, well, okay. How many papers were thrown away? And I said fifty. And what are they worth? And I go, well, we printed fifty thousand this week. You know, one one thousandth of that. You know, uh, you know, for ten bucks, whatever. Mm-hmm. You're going to file for ten bucks? I go, yeah, yeah, I am. And uh, whatever. And I said, well, look right here. It says one copy per person.
3: And uh, <laughs> and it did.
1: And. Uh, this, he, it, what it predicated onto was we had to, we guarantee our advertisers ex circulation, yeah, and the readers you guys have an anticipation of seeing the ads in that issue, so two people were wrong besides us there was yeah. us, an advertiser and a reader corps. and so that was the case and you know they go ask Gunnarson and he denies everything, and it became news, and it became big news. It was ranked that year, Chris Van Oker's show on Channel 4, I think, at the end of the year. was the ninth biggest story in Utah that year. <laughs> Tom Barberi had the field day of field days, and probably you guys did too. Yeah. You know, I'm sure you did. And, and so what happened, though, what was fortuitous, that's when we changed our name from Private Eye to City Weekly. It was like our second or third issue of Salt Lake City Weekly. Mm-hmm. And we'd thrown a party or two telling everybody, hey, come to the party, look at our new name. You know, you get 200 people in a bar and they don't really pay attention. Yeah. But you get months of publicity of people saying, uh, this paper that used to be called Private Eye in Salt Lake City Week, it was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars of free publicity thanks to Neil Gunnerson. So we never did really dislike the guy at all. Uh, you know, he did us a big favor. Yeah. But he did resign eventually. And I kind of felt bad about that. About for about a minute. Oh, I wouldn't. I know, uh, you know, his, <laughs> that's fine. I mean, he he knew he was wrong. Sure, you know, he said that he didn't like the artwork. Um, I think he did at some point say he was. He, he said it was foolish of me to do, and I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah he, he, I'm sure it was in a in a mm-hmm. rash moment. Um, I so don't think that he, he never went to trial or anything like that. I don't. You know, he just kind of yeah. made an apology to City Weekly, and yeah. that was that was the end of it.
0: You know, um, City Weekly. It it uh, you know you've seen the uh, the ups and downs of the newspaper business. Certainly. Um, I, I mean, when you started, newspapers were. I, I mean, they were still pretty pretty strong. They were still still fairly healthy. It was still a healthy business mm-hmm. to be in, yeah. and it isn't anymore.
1: Well, I don't know. I mean, it's changing. Um, when we started, it was a very risky business to start into. It was a, a lot of money mm-hmm. or a lot of time, and I didn't have a lot of money. It took me years to figure it out, how to you know, lay out a newspaper, how to find writers and all that kind of stuff, how to build a circulation, find readership. takes for a long time. But if somebody eventually, if somebody wanted to compete against us, they'd have to make a big investment, hire a bunch of staff, say millions. Well, you, uh, so there was no barrier. It was a barrier to entry. After have
0: to remember, there was a competitor uh, when you started uh, the what was it called the? Uh, Ener- nah. the there was the event for a the while. event. Yeah,
1: he was. They were before us, and I knew their first owner really well, Alan Tatomer, mm-hmm. and uh, I did write for them for a while early on. Yeah, before I did. My thing.
0: They, they tried. They there was a con- kind of a head to head there for a little while, but they they couldn't. They, they couldn't had a they
1: it. had a different take on mm-hmm. uh, on news. You know, ultimately, what won was uh, we weren't afraid to take on a sacred cow, and they had a different strategy about it. You know, they didn't yeah. want to offend anybody. Um, so, so what happened was we were we were just alone. If you wanted to know what was going on tonight, you had to pick up a private eye or City Weekly right and yep. then it would give you the listings of all the clubs and where to die and all that kind of stuff the internet changed that of course because now you don't need to go to a paper to to find out certain things that are event driven or calendar driven and that was a big core of what we did and still do but eventually through just the internet it morphed into all kinds of other things print it still remains the number one category for advertising dollars spent 50% of all ad dollars are still still spent in print. Hmm. Now, I don't know what it shrunk from. But whenever something new comes up, they tend to peel from the print side. You saw a rack over there, Bill. I mean, it's yeah. empty.
0: Yeah, there are no City weeklies on the rack over okay,
1: there. Okay, so we're still moving our papers. It still has value to an advertiser. It still has certainly cachet to a reader and it has value to a reader. But what's happened is, Advertisers didn't increase their budget when social media came along or Internet came along. They just kept their same budget or shrank it because there seemed to be some magic pill they could, you know, hit Facebook button and, and all of a sudden I don't need to advertise anymore. Well, that's baloney. Yeah. Um, so we remain, you know, as that and and we're, as, a, as a print publication but with tons more competition. Well, that means we've had to change. So eight or nine years ago when all of our revenue came from selling an ad in the paper. That's just part of it now. Now we have huge mailing lists. We have a website that's very popular. We have email newsletters. We throw events like two weeks, two nights ago. We threw a Utah pizza party. You guys do the big-ass show um, with the Utah Beer Festival, so we throw events. Um, have to we, do events. We, we've got, goodness. yeah, and, and uh, we've now started now in the Glossies We've got a great new food publication called Devour Utah. Um, It's really taken off. Uh, An outdoor guide called Vamoose Utah. It's going to (laughs) start. What do you think of that name, by the way? Vamoose. 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 I like it. There we go. So um, that's going to be our outdoor guide. Uh, We do other glossies. We're moving into digital. So that. Instead of just being the hub of the wheel, we have lots of spokes coming off of it now to derive all kinds of revenue. Those changes are hard because you have internal um, inertia or lack of inertia that just wants to be the same. Some of your employees don't ever like change. They won't embrace change. It's hard. And we had to make it happen, and Mm -hmm. it's hard. Every day I fight it. Every day there's somebody in the building that will give me some crap about, yeah, but you uh, you don't tell me that anymore. I I, I went through that Mm -hmm. for long enough thinking that it would turn. And it doesn't turn, so from now on, I'll be a little bit cranky. But at the end of the day, uh, we, we're still a great newspaper and well read, and we're a great resource.
0: I mean, it's you know, it's hard. I mean, this here, here, what what we're doing here—a podcast, sitting here at R and R Barbecue. Right. This is this is what we. This is the same thing we do. Exactly. it's more spokes coming off off that wheel of of the radio show. People say, "Well, why do you do that?" And I, "Why do you do that podcast?" I say, "Well." Uh, you know, because I like to talk to people, um, I, and because it's another way for our listeners to, who, you know, people who listen to the Radio from Hell show, if they, like, if they like Bill Allred, then that's another way for them to get a little bit more of what I do. Well, look like what you've Karen, done with you know. your own brand,
1: Bill. Yeah, I mean, you're not just a morning guy. Very political. I know you're close to Dave On and, and all, yeah. all the yeah. knuckleheads, right? Crazy people that I know. It's <laughs> so yeah. like and, and you've made yourself into more than you've made yourself into several of those folks. Mm-hmm. And and anybody that's gonna be around now better be doing that. They better be doing their blogging. They better even if they only have a few followers, at least they're in the game.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, they might be the few of the very most influential followers. It's not always a matter of numbers. And that's the trouble with technology sometimes. Now we're so downwired into measuring all these clicks, views, paper clicks pass-through, whatever, bounce rates. They mean nothing to me. They really mean nothing to mm-hmm. me. At the end of the day, either you helped somebody grow their business or you didn't. And um, not that we're not cognizant of those. We want to have all those things good, but we don't put the extreme value on them that a lot of people do. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, what do you think is going to be the... Uh, you know, we have a really bad situation in Salt Lake with um, the two newspapers in this town. And, and it's, it's horrible to see it happen. And I'm still a person who likes like that. I, you know, I'm, let the record show that I'm holding up a, a physical copy, a <laughs> paper copy of City Weekly. I like getting a paper copy of the Salt Lake Tribune. Yeah. Uh, you know, I like reading a paper copy of the New York Times when yeah. I can. Um you know but I will read things online because uh, because it's a little more convenient
1: sometimes but yeah
0: but w- so what's going to happen to our newspapers here it's
1: well part of it's already happened the Deseret news which I used to uh, you know I was on record many times saying I really liked that newspaper I did too
0: because it I mean they had more money and they kind of they kind of looked better and even uh, it,
1: today their website, Wor- works yeah, exactly. way
0: better. It works way better than the Tribune. Graphically, website. it
1: was a good newspaper yeah. to hold and read and go yeah. through. Yep. I didn't care who the ownership was. I mean, why should I? I mean, uh, you know, uh, if you if you wanted to read between every lines and get a you know decoder ring out, and figure out what they're really saying. All right, but it really wasn't that. Well, so as on long the editorial as you know, pages,
0: as long as you know who owns it, that's right. all right.
1: You know, on editorial pages, okay, they should espouse the view sure. of their ownership. Yeah. If it's coming through in the stories, they shouldn't do that. But they were pretty good about it, not. Frankly, yeah. they just maybe didn't report on certain things. All right, now I'm not. Yeah. De- I'm not defending them about that. Yeah. But it was a pretty good newspaper. They've changed into a digital-first company, and unlike most news companies in the country, they they were able to capitalize on something that made them a worldwide brand pretty quickly, and that's the Mormon brand. I yeah. Mean, you, you can play off KSL is one of the top – KSL.com is one of the top sites in the country, period. Mm-hmm. And the, the classifieds that of their site, it, there's no Craigslist here. KSL.com dominated. They're into e-commerce. They're doing all kinds of the right things digitally that many of us can do to a limited extent. But we don't have users in Belgium checking us out to see yeah. what's going on back in Utah. And they do in their mission field or converts or people like that. And so their, their views are massive. Not all of us can replicate that. We can kind of take pieces and, and go that way. That's fine. Okay, so you can take the Deseret News and say, well, it's not the paper it once was. And, and I don't think they try to be. The Tribune um, decimated its staff. I don't, I don't think that they needed to as much. I mean, if you really looked at the inside of the real finances of publishing – and not knowing, because it's been a top secret, what this split was before the fifty-eight split, fifty-eight mm-hmm. forty-two. Now is thirty percent of the revenues go to the. Hey, it's
0: our um, friend Crystal. I, I know Crystal very well. <laughs> I know you do. Yes. Hi, and Crystal. We're having a serious conversation here, Crystal. What do? You... Okay. Well, listen. That's all right. She's, you, you she, you know, you can listen to the podcast
1: later on. She's used to listening to me. <laughs> <laughs> we go. We go back a ways. Um. So the Tribune now gets this new deal, okay? You get past that. The Tribune gets 30% of something, but nobody knows what the the something is. But you do know it's not as robust as it once was. Mm -hmm. On the positive side, though, the Tribune gets to keep all their digital revenue. It's not bill spoken. The The Deseret News went from $4 million in 2011 of digital revenue to $25 million of digital revenue last year. That 's without printing a paper, so all of a sudden, if you might have had to do seventy million dollars a year to, to manage newspaper staff and net out to twenty million i don 't know what their margins were now you 're doing twenty five million with no cost offset you 're doing pretty good, yeah, so the Tribune gets to keep their digital um, uh, they had the shared cost of the newsprint, but they gave up the, the printing plant you know it was a, it was a negotiation i can 't imagine. It was like, uh, I mean, you, you know, somebody holding somebody down and making a deal. I know, but it says,
0: you know, you pick it up on Monday and it, you look at the paper on Monday and it's like nobody works there. Nobody's been there all weekend. You know, it's
1: if they're not producing content, yeah, there's no reason to pick it up. And that's the part that they decimated. They killed the editorial staff. They killed. They killed the canary. That, and many newspapers fell into that same trap some yeah. didn't some kept we never we, we didn't lay off anybody in that that entire time of uh, uh, decimation mm-hmm. at the end of last year we we let uh, one person go because we changed some job description stuff but we're about at the same size staff that we were four or five years ago mm-hmm. a little bit not quite i can't I can't go exactly but there's all the deaths are taken I know that <laughs> so. Okay. You know the the, uh, the Tribune is, yeah. It's, it's not a nice scientific measure. The, the Deseret News uh, and Tribune—it's it, going to be an interesting dichotomy because whoever takes them over, the Tribune—they're they're for sale, rumored to have been sold. Um, have they have to deal with the joint operating agreement? Somebody's got to deal with that, and they're going to look at it and go, "We can make money with this," which means that we've been been told a lie for all these years. Mm-hmm. Or they're going to undo it, uh, and if they undo it, who knows what happens?
0: Um, City we- City Weekly. Um, it sounds like healthy, healthy, good. And uh, will you continue to write? You, do you write? You don't write a, uh, an editorial every week. No, but every
1: at when I when I've, when, when the muse <laughs> strikes put, <and>
0: pretty <laughs> often though, and uh, and I'm amazed by your output. Um,
1: I don't like I should. There have been periods where I've written every week, every week religiously, then something will occupy me and I'll go weeks without writing. Um, I don't have to have my name in the paper. I don't feel like like it's that important. But I do recognize, um, and I can't hide from it. I don't try to. But uh, there's a certain... Stability that comes with seeing my name in I, there. Yeah, a, I, a, a, I think yeah, I think people like
0: seeing it. I like seeing it. people like seeing
1: it. Yeah, whether they agree with me or not, um, I'm not trying to convince anybody. I'm right or wrong. I write in a strong personal style, though. Yeah. And and that's what City Weekly's always done. Whether it's me or Ron or Harrington or anybody, you know, we 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 said what we meant. Said what we wanted to say. So, if you, it's not take it or leave it. And I'm not I'm not really trying to win you over. But I'm trying to win you over. But I'm not going to beat you on the head with. And Sam Ryan. I'm, I'm um, Bill O'Reilly. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Um, City Weekly. Uh, Would w- w- can it can it I, and I can it go without John Saltus? Can it? I, I think so.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I and I mean that in a in a good way. There's some really really good people over there. You know. We got some great management over there. Jerry Robles back as editor, and she's really good. I, her and Ron, I mean her and um, Chris Smart, Tom Walsh, man, they, they were just n- nuts and bolts, no prisoners. Great editor through that, you know, through the many years of the, those those three. Um, in in sales department, there's people 10, 12, 15 years worked for us. Production same, you know, throughout the paper, they're, they're experienced people. So, yeah, I mean, it can. Um,
0: Will it ever? I mean, uh, just someday you're going to say.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we just, in Je- December of last year, we bought a paper in Jackson Hole. Jackson, it's now Planet Jackson Hole is the name of it, small paper. And it, 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 it it's, you know, I guess so now we're a chain. <laughs> All right. <yeah. laughs> so, um, it's not, the industry's changed so much that, no, I'm not trying to go away. Mm-hmm. but my role has definitely changed from in the past year and a half big time i'm on this, i'm on the prowl all the time for new ways to you know bring revenue in that are related to what we do but they're not necessarily just selling ads or telling stories there's there's new stuff out there that it's fun it you know there's some really really smart people in Utah in technology and a lot of it tied in with that can tie into the newspaper industry and uh, we like affiliating with them dirt they're good. So there's some things that you'll see shortly. That you'll you'll just see.
0: Uh, so look for uh, the new glossy. Is it now? Is that just when you see Devour? It's called. Is it? There, is that on the rack?
1: We can get. Are they around? Yeah.
0: Uh, that, so that'll be that's out free and Vamoose. Is that
1: out now? It, 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 it came out before as just our what we called.
0: Outdoor Rec Guide, right? It was it kind of an insert yeah, it was just into a the generic the... yeah. blase name, right? Yeah. Outdoor mm-hmm. Rec Guide,
1: mm-hmm. and it was inserted. Now it's going to be a standalone um, with its own brand, its own its quarterly own or something, or uh, we're going to do two this year and probably move it to six next year. That's Devour.
0: Oh, now I see. I haven't seen this. This will come out quarterly.
1: That one comes out six times a year. Nice. That's Devour. Nice. But you know, it's on a different stock of paper. Yeah. Um, great. Great layout. People yeah. just gone for that one.
0: This is. Uh, uh, I like it. I like it. Uh, City Weekly. John Saltus, keep just keep doing what you do. Keep writing. Thank you. Um, and and thanks for being here on the Let's Go Eat show.
1: It's my pleasure, Bill. Um, you know I've listened to you guys for a long, long time, and uh, our our. The intersection of uh, your station and our readership is—it's pretty close.
0: Yeah, it is. It's, and, it, it's nice. so we
1: speak the same language. We, we talk to the same people, and, it, and it's really a joy to be a part of what you're doing. Um, you, you, you know, my hats off to what you've done because nobody else has done what you've done <laughs> in radio in this market. Uh, you know, in this era, right? And, and so, I my hats off.
0: Well, thanks. We just—it's just that just you hang around long enough, people start listening. Sometimes,
1: well, you know, and you, you, the daughter of one of my favorites, Tom Barberi is with you, and mm-hmm. and if you just step back and look at the similarity there, you guys weren't just DJs. You know, you became part of the culture here, and um, you became political, and you weren't afraid to speak your mind, and and look what's happened. And, and guys that, and women who did that or were afraid to.
0: Well, it's like it's like, it's like you. It's like you found out. We had to keep saying to the people who owned us, "No, there are people who want us to say these things. There is. There are people out there who want to hear a different voice.
1: I hear that all the time. Exactly that, because uh, you know Utah is a kind of uniform culture, yeah. and. Uh, if you're outside that culture, it doesn't mean you're anti, and mm-hmm. just simply means that you have the willingness to express your point of view, and you should do so unfettered. And um, we're happy to do that, and we're happy you're doing that, Bill. Believe me.
0: Well, I mean, we just recently we even got a couple of years ago we got. You know, you guys really ought to. You guys really ought to lay off Mitt Romney from from somebody who owned us. You really ought to kind of. Who manage... You really, you know... And, and we're like... You don't want to upset the
2: Republicans. Yeah. But then you did your show a week, two weeks ago or whatever, up so, at the Capitol. Well, so, you know, and I Didn't I'd piss like, them off too much, I guess.
1: I remember when... We'd, we'd have four years of Didi Cordini as mayor. When she was re-elected, we all, like, shot a tequila, <laughs> and like, all right, four more years of stories. This is going to be great. And Mitt Romney was like that. I mean, no. he, he wasn't our golden child. Mm. I mean, we didn't elect him mm. to that. I no. mean... No, we had a lot of fun at his uh, you know, sure fun going away party. Sure, it's fun to talk mm-hmm.
0: about, yeah. And, I, you know, yeah. I th- I would have been okay with a Mitt Romney presidency. It would have been interesting.
1: Yeah, from the point of view of selfishness, we yeah. would have been quite...
2: Yeah. yeah. Good we for would. ratings and good for uh, yeah. paper distribution.
0: Uh, anyway, John Saldis, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Bill. Uh, so let's go each show. Villain. Thanks to uh, Dylan Thank Allred for producing the show. And uh, thanks to Corey O'Brien for help on the Let's Go Eat show as well. And uh, remember, ladies and gentlemen, oh, thanks to our good hosts here at uh, R&R Barbecue. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's Roger who is here today. It's R&R. That stands for Rodney and Roger. And they're twins, and they're identical twins. So whenever I'm around them, I always just say, hi, Rodney and or Roger, because I, I never know. But it's, I'm pretty sure it's Roger who's here today. And uh, also, uh, just let me say, remember, if you're pouring drinks, always make mine a double. Roger Livingston, co-owner of R&R Barbecue. What's the exact address here?
3: It's 307 West, 600 South. Oh, my. I just ate about a pound of brisket we were on some other interview. I gave the wrong
0: address somewhere the other day. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's yeah third third west six south. Yeah, you come off the freeway and it's right there, uh, to on the on the south uh, west corner. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I just ate. I think a half pound. No, it was a pound. A pound. You half mean pound. A pound? A half pound. Probably ha- half pound. Half pound. of brisket. Right. And I like it chopped up. Okay. Rather than, yeah. than sliced. That's how I like it.
3: Because it's. It's, it's it's got a lot more flavor, a lot more fat that part. Yeah, but but you know what you're experiencing, don't you? It's what? just a classic meat coma right now. Yeah, it's uh, I mean it, and I don't even like much sauce on that stuff. No, you don't need much.
0: Just a little tiny bit of barbecue sauce on the side, and it is man, it's what. So how do you? It, how long does it take you to cook that brisket?
3: It goes in about five o'clock and then comes out anywhere between nine and ten o'clock. So what's that? Fourteen, sixteen hours, something like that. Oh, like around the clock. Yes, yeah. around the clock.
0: Jeez.
3: Yeah, it's it.
0: R and R, you guys. You so you 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 and your brother started doing this uh, just as a hobby.
3: Yeah, yeah. How we, many years ago? God, just over 10 years ago, I think, something like that. And you guys are like
0: uh, uh, real estate agents or land Wait, No, developer. we had a mortgage company. Mortgage company, that's yeah. right. And did this on the just as for fun? And, yeah. And you went to the barbecue competitions?
3: Uh, you know, it started out because all our family is from Missouri and Tennessee, and mm. so we go to family reunions, and they always had pulled pork, and the, my, my uncles, they were staying up all night. And, of course, I didn't want to do that <laughs> stuff. I'm like, <laughs> We've been skiing all day or something or hiking or canoeing. And yep. anyways, wake up in the morning and for lunch that day, they'd have pulled pork sandwiches. And we just thought that was the best, coolest thing because in Southern California, we grew up, they didn't have any barbecue out there. And so then we went and bought the cheapest, cruddiest smokers at one of the hardware stores. And mm-hmm. they didn't work because they're just pieces of crud. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, so then uh, uh, one of those uncles sold smokers. So I bought one of those, a nice backyard smoker and. You know, that thing worked out pretty good. But then we wanted to cook bigger, you know, more stuff. So we got Mm -hmm. bigger smokers. And then uh, a friend of ours at Pat's Mm Barbecue, a really good friend of ours, he says, Hey, you guys had to go into a contest. And he lent us one of his – no, actually he didn't lend us one of his smokers. We each bought bought smokers. My brother and I bought these, like – Three to five thousand dollars smokers. You you uh, you pull behind your trailer, yeah. And uh, so we show up to this backyard contest, which is a lot of guys just using these small little grills and stuff like that. And we both pull up there and with about ten thousand dollars worth of smokers, and like you guys can't use those. Like why? There's no size limit. So we won grand champion. They it just went from there and then and then you started doing more contests and winning bigger prizes yeah, yeah. and and it can be a per- pretty big deal some oh, of these huge, contests, huge right? deals I yeah. mean uh, most of these contests have 30 teams in there and you know we started out getting like what they call anything when they call your name and you get uh, a 10th place or higher they that's what they call a call so our first professional contest we got two calls and there were some of the best guys in the nation there and you gotta keep going and you keep trying and you know my wife like, What's all this leading up to? And it's like, Well honey, we just want to get a grand championship, you know. I mean we wanna see if we can get to that quality of cooking and, and we did. So the first thing I heard is, I guess you're done <laughs> It didn't work out. You got the Grand grand, championship. grand Champion What do
0: you win for that?
3: Do you win money? Well, you win money, um like this contest we were in last weekend, we got a grand championship. The Sam's puts on a barbecue series. Mm-hmm. I think we walked away with about almost three thousand dollars. So you still do the competition? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and does that does that
0: help your reputation in the in the barbecue world? Or because I mean, you're set now. I mean, you open up R and R Barbecue here, and it pretty much just took off
3: almost immediately. Oh, crazy! It? Just absolutely insane how fast it works. But well, the thing is. When you do good in contests, a lot of guys try to open up restaurants, and I can name like four or five guys that tried doing it, and they're they're shut down now. Yeah. But the thing is, they say just because you cook a contest doesn't mean you can open up a restaurant. So when we, our restaurant became successful, it helped us our barbecue team out. Mm-hmm. And then um, – and then to have a restaurant, they say, oh, well, you know, you do good in your restaurant doesn't mean you can cook competition anymore. So when we do good at a competition, it helps us solidify that, hey, we're not just a restaurant. We're competition guys out there, and we're trying to serve. We use all the same rubs, all the same sauces we do in competition. So it tries to, you know, it, the two just feed off each other.
0: So um, uh, now the rubs and the sauces and stuff that you use, they're, they're stuff that you, I mean, that's part of the deal. Uh, they are stuff that you develop that you and right, your brother. Right. Yeah, so they're kind of they're uh, it's a uh, signature. Pro, they're okay. signature, and that's that's that really is what barbecue. A good part of what barbecue is all about yeah. developing your own signature, right? Our own rubs taste, and, our
3: own taste profiles, yeah. and I mean. I, I don't know anywhere else we can go and get competition-style barbecue. Yeah. I mean, we don't do the exact same things we do in competition. It would take us forever, and it would cost us a mint. Mm-hmm. Our um, briskets that we go in competition with, they're about $150 a piece. Mm. They're prime briskets or they're Wagyu briskets. Yeah.
0: So, so uh, um, now, oh, and you also do catering. Right. So if people want catering. What do they just go to? How do they?
3: Well, what they do is call our restaurant, ask for Rod or I or our manager, Chris. And uh, what we do is we, we, we talk with you and we figure out, you know, how, how big of an event is this? Mm-hmm. You know, what's your budget for that? What meats do you want? Mm-hmm. And uh, just customize some for you. We've got a smoker here that's 10,000 pounds on a trailer outside. And it has star burners, double fryers on it. It can do a whole hog. And it's got an 800-watt sound system on it. So <laughs> you, you talk about, you know, putting on a catering event for your company or family reunion or something like that. We've got it set up for that. We can feed a thousand people. It, now, when, you know, people love
0: barbecue, and barbecues actually, Salt Lake is a pretty good place for trying out.
3: There's, oh yeah. there are
0: some good barbecue places around. Yeah, definitely, people can try stuff out. What what uh, are there some things here that you do a little different than other places, or that you offer that other places don't?
3: Well, uh, probably one of the things that we offer that no one else does is fresh fried okra. And if you're from the south, that's your one of the main staples back there. Mm-hmm. But as far as the meats going is, there's there's no other place here that has competed in competitions like we have and be able to give you that extra little bit of quality food. Well, I I know you know I, I always like
0: brisket, and, and uh, I, I I haven't had it better anywhere. Oh, that's great. Uh, I mean, here or or. I mean, I haven't had it better anywhere else in the country. Yeah. You know, and I've Thank had brisket you. in a lot. Of, I usually, that's what I usually order at a barbecue yeah, place. Yeah, and,
3: and that's the main thing I like to get when I go somewhere else. I'll judge them by their brisket or their ribs. Mm-hmm. You know, or their, everyone should be able to do pull pork. Pulled pork isn't that hard to do. Mm-hmm. But I guess it's not hard. It is hard to do if you don't know how to do it. What's the,
0: uh, let me ask you one thing about ribs. There are two kind of th- uh, theories about ribs. One is that when you pick it up, the meat should almost be falling off the bone. Then the other one
3: is, it should have a little tooth to it, and yeah, a little bite to it or something bite like that. To it. Right, what, right, what, right. How do you guys? Look well, we at like that? to get ours where it's just before it completely falls off the bone. We like to get it where you do take a bite and it doesn't all fall off. Mm-hmm. And that comes from competition and and you being a, a barbecue judge now. I, well, I did one. <laughs> yeah, that's where I met these right. guys. Right, yeah. right, right. But you know. Um, I, we we do know that the restaurant clientele do like it more to fall off a little bit, mm-hmm. more than we
0: would do in competition. Competition, you want more bite to it, don't they? One bite, you take they a bite, really it goes chew. right
3: down to the bone, yeah. and well, not really more chew. It's just that when you take a bite, it doesn't come, it doesn't separate from the bone. Yeah, you want that nice bite where. It's just kind of hard to describe. You have to to go bite and then kind of pull it off. Yeah, just very lightly, but it doesn't fall off the bone. And that's what we try to do in the restaurant without it completely falling off the bone. But most people consider, they always use, oh, the barbecue is like falling off the bone. Mm -hmm. Uh, You got your your ribs, you got your
0: chicken, you got your uh, pulled pork, you got your brisket, Sausage, right? Uh, the sausage is very good. If I, I don't know how many people order sausage, we go. Oh, we probably
3: go through about two hundred pounds a week.
0: Mm-hmm. I, no, yeah, at least two hundred pounds a week of that, and just get that. You can just get that chopped up into little chunks, and it's it's really. It's actually it's, an really Andouille
3: sausage that we have made locally, and it does have a little kick to it. And yep. you know it, them not making it, um, they almost custom make it for us. And you do get it's not real consistent because they are making small batches, so you're not getting it. So sometimes it might have a little bit more bite than others. R and R, &R, you guys are open. uh, You're open every day. We're open Monday through Saturday, eleven o'clock through uh, uh, nine o'clock. Part of the summer we may open up a little bit more. Mm Um, we are uh, looking at a new – we are going to have a new location on 106 South. Oh, good. Uh, now, I – you know,
0: it's, it's fine to come to – it's not a big place, though. Right. Takeout, that's what I usually do.
3: Right. Uh, call ahead. Yeah. You can, can you call call ahead? ahead because there's sometimes, like, if you're calling for lunch, we get so busy that we have to take care of the people in the restaurant first. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's kind of hard for someone to – order food and want to pick it up in 5 minutes when we got a line out the door. Yeah. So, call ahead, especially for our catering. Our catering is just going nuts. Mm. So, you can just look it up online. I mean, you can give the phone number real quick, but the you, phone number in the shop is 801-364-0443 and uh, like I said, I gave the num- r- wrong address and and and, and 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 phone number the other day. But uh, but 801-364-0443 if Rod and I uh, aren't here, uh, you can leave a message. We'll call you back, and you know we'll set up a big catering job for you. We would love it. Yeah,
0: and just and just look for uh, R and R Barbecue online. You'll find the menu exactly. You'll find you'll find, and, you, and the numbers, and you can call and order, and uh, you and you have you have beer.
3: Yes, sir. Beer. We've got a lot of the local breweries here. Uh, we use uh, the Squatters and the uh, oh. You it? You went to beers, yeah. yeah thank yeah, you. Yeah. I'm not a beer expert. I can drink it, but I can't tell you all about it. <laughs> just give him one. All right. That's right, exactly. Yeah, yeah all right.
0: Uh, uh, Roger, thanks a lot. Uh, tell Rod I said hi when he gets back from Bali.
3: Okay, you got it, man. Thank you for coming in. We sure appreciate it. It's
0: r and Barbecue, where we talked earlier with uh, uh, John Saltis from City Weekly. And again, if you're pouring drinks, well, if you're, if you're making me some ribs, just give me a big full plate of them. And if you're pouring drinks, always, always pour me a double.